Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqah Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salaman ala ibadihi alladhi mustafa. Khususan ala sayyidir rusuli wa khatimil anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-tqiya amma ba'd. Some weeks ago we started this discussion that Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda presented regarding the completion of the Prophet what made him such a complete human being. Before going into the teaching methodology of the Prophet he is spending a significant amount of time discussing the personality, the that of the Prophet the person who is teaching and their personality has a tremendous impact on the message that is being conveyed. So where you spend a good segment of your life seeking knowledge and learning how to teach, those are two different areas. Just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you know how to teach. And unfortunately, we've seen the downside of this again and again. You have people who have great knowledge but are not really in tune with the proper methodology of teaching and therefore miss out on the full yield that they can gain from the student. So we have the teaching methodology, the content, but before all of that, the Shaykh focuses on the that of the Prophet ﷺ, the individual at the center of this all. He narrated for us the kalam of Imam al-Mawardi and that's what we've been covering for the past few weeks. How Imam al-Mawardi highlights that in order for an individual to be complete, there are four areas specifically that they must reach completion in. We've covered three of them, and today we start the fourth. For that, the Musannif alayhi rahma writes, وَأَمَّا الْوَجْهُ الرَّابِعُ فِي فَضَائِلِ أَفْعَالِهِ فَمُخْتَبَرٌ بِثَمَانِ خِصَالٍ As for the virtue of the actions of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We talked about the statements of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We talked about the personality of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So now we go into, we talked about the character of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now we're going into the af'al, the actions of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. وَأَمَّا الْوَجْهُ الرَّابِعُ فِي فَضَائِلِ أَفْعَالِهِ Let's talk about what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's actions did. فَمُخْتَبَرٌ بِثَمَانِ خِصَالٍ so now there are eight areas specifically that we need to study. 
So the first thing that he points out is the personality of Rasulullah Here we're not just talking about what traits he had inward. We've covered that. We're talking about the life the Prophet actually lived. The decisions Nabi actually made. When you look at this, a good way to understand how impactful they were, what he did was, He took a group of people who already had a reality they were connected to. There was a culture, there was a religion that they were very comfortable with. They were ma'loof with that. What he did was, he took them from there to something new for them. Something absolutely new. A new belief system. We're not worshipping multiple idols. Rather, we are focusing on one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first thing that he points out here is the uh, personality of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes, go ahead. Excellence in his actions. This can be gauged from eight attributes. First attribute, his excellent manner and sound management in religious affairs by means of which he led his followers away from the familiar towards that which was new and strange. Consequently, people submitted themselves to Islam with both apprehension and hope. This was certainly no easy task in which success would not have been possible without divine assistance and firm determination. If his proclamation was an order from Allah Ta'ala, it served as an absolute proof. And if it was based on his personal judgment, it was a brilliant sign of his prophethood. The fact that it's the way the Prophet carried himself in his personality, there are two possibilities. If this personality that he had, if the actions that he took was a, was a result of divine inspiration, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put it in him, which, that, which is true, then this is a proof of his prophethood. Because we're accepting that he was divinely guided. And if we say there was no divine involvement, if a person were to make that claim, if that he was not a prophet of God and there was no divine involvement, if it was of his own intelligence and his own exertion, then this is also a clear proof of what kind of person and intelligence Rasulullah had. Yes. Yes, yes. The fact that Islam's foundations remain uh, perpetually firm proves his greatness and serves as an explanation to those who doubt it. As Islam was conveyed from one generation to the next, its sweetness and vibrancy intensified in their hearts, and they considered it to be the perfect system, despite the customs and differences of each era. Second attribute. So in that first point there, another thing to just ponder over, that the decisions that Rasulullah took and the way he built his community, this great personality of Nabi that guided people, it was so profound that even after Rasulullah left this world, people continued to imitate it and try to replicate it to the best of their abilities in their own cultures. Even though time changes, right? 
حتى انتقل عن سلف إلى خلف تزداد فيهم حلاوته وتشتد فيهم جدته ويرون نظاما لأعصار They view that system as being the best of all يرون يرونه نظاما لأعصار for all times no matter what this reality is no matter what the culture is the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam remains the standard تتقلب صروفها ويختلف مألوفها أن يكون لمن قام به برهانا ولمن ارتاب به بيانا. Yes. Second attribute. He combined the yearning of those who had hope with the apprehension of those who had potential. In this way, both groups joined forces to help him and uphold the responsibilities of his da'wah. You have, so this second point, I like to think of it as Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took into consideration the different personalities that existed among the people that he was working with. That the Prophet ﷺ engaged with a person who needed raghba, encouragement, in that manner where he encouraged them. And there's another type of person that needs a little bit more rahba. They live in a cloud of fear, so the Prophet ﷺ worked with them in that way. One person is more open to sinning, so Prophet ﷺ used the rahba tool, uh, guiding them through warnings to help create balance in them. Another person is very excited about doing good deeds, so to keep them motivated and keep them going, showing them something better, the Prophet ﷺ, he intrigued them through the means of raghba, targheeb. This is what we call targheeb and tarheeb. So you'll find this in the books of hadith, where you have a hadith that focuses on targheeb encouragements, that if you pray salah, this will be the virtue, this is the benefit of it. And tarheeb, for those people who miss salah, this is the warning. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam utilized both tools. And the reality is that both must be utilized. If you just focus on one without the other, there could be great problems that come out of this. You can create wishful. and out of fear of loss and being afflicted by a calamity. He followed such a course of action because of differences in temperaments and submission. Uh, submission could only be achieved when both the qualities of yearning and apprehension coexist. Yes, this is the only be achieved when both of these characteristics are balanced out. That you have to learn to yearn and you have to also have fear. So when you're sitting at home and you're feeling a little lazy to pray salah, in your heart you're thinking, maybe I'll pray later, or you're thinking, ah, Allah, maybe the thought even crosses your mind, I should skip it, which is something that should never occur. Consciously, you should never be okay with missing salah. If you are in a state of awareness and you're aware that it's salah time, that should never happen to a Muslim. Is that, is that clear to you guys? You should consciously never miss salah. Forgetfulness, that happens, may Allah protect us from forgetfulness, from that ghafla. So he points out here that, uh, that these things cannot be accomplished until both of them are uh, balanced. Yes. Go ahead. These two qualities reinforced uh, and perpetuated the totality of Islam. Third attribute. With regard to the injunctions of the Sharia, he steered clear of excuses and shortcomings and follow the middle path. The best of ways is after all that which is balanced and free of, ex of excessive 
excesses and shortcomings. So here we think, here this third point that he mentions is that when the Prophet ﷺ implemented Sharia, that's his ultimate goal. He receives revelation to teach it and implement it. That you don't just want revelation to be in the Quran, you want revelation to be in the lives of people. So when the Quran speaks of shukr, the goal isn't just to have shukr mentioned in the Quran, but it's to have the shukr present in the lives of human beings. When the Quran talks about truth, uh, being trustworthy and being truthful, we want to see these attributes being present. Similarly, when it comes to legal matters, where the Quran establishes punishments for certain wrongs, they need to exist. But unfortunately, if you don't implement revelation properly, it could become a great means of oppression and sadness in the lives of people. The exact opposite for what it came. So how did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam avoid any of that from happening? What made him complete and amazing? Nabi brought people to a path that focused on the middle. That Nabi didn't allow people to sway too far here or too far there. He taught people to be in the middle. That choose the middle path. If everyone sways too far to one, one extreme, they will deviate. So the Prophet ﷺ, that while implementing Sharia, the Prophet ﷺ, while teaching people the deen, he taught them the middle path. And there are many examples of this. That the Prophet ﷺ, obviously it really depends on the individual, but yet overall, why I say that is because there were cases where Rasulullah nudged certain companions beyond what he would encourage others because they had that potential in them. These were students of knowledge, senior companions of Rasulullah so he encouraged them to do more. We have the examples of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq so many of them, tarbiya moments where he does everything above and beyond everyone else. That was him. But if we leave those those uh, examples to aside for a few moments, what we'll see is overall, the Prophet ﷺ encouraged the wasat and i'tidal that be in the middle. The famous example of the companions who took a vow that they wouldn't sleep during the night and that they would fast every day, and one of them said that I won't get married to that Rasulullah said, No, that's not how you do it. There must be i'tidal. You can't go too far one way, you can't go too far the other way. You must find a middle path. And the reality is that the deen becomes a part of the lives of people at the point where they understand where their social and religious lives cross over. Where they understand that there is a need for adjustments on both ends, but you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. When you tell people to sacrifice something holistically, that you have to completely walk away from your social life, from the life that you knew before, to be a part of this deen, that is a price very few will pay, and those who are willing to pay that price may not be able to sustain it. They need to learn that there is a middle path. I remember <laughs> when we were young, um, after the break, we were in Madrasa, so after the break, one of our teachers, uh, he was just asking everyone, what did you guys do, what did you guys do? So, <laughs> He then at the end said that uh, we went on a vacation. He was saying that with my kids, I went on a vacation. 
So in my mind, I thought to myself, religious guy going on vacation, that must be so lame. Like, what does a religious dude do on vacation? Like, astaghfirullah, my mind was very corrupt at the time and I didn't have good adam. So I almost scoffed. And then I said to the sheikh, he was very kind. I said, sheikh, what did you even do? Did you like all go to the masjid where you had to go for 10 days? Is that what a sheikh's family does for vacation? So then, I don't know how to describe the look that he had on his face. I think what he was trying to say through those looks is, you're dumb. But he didn't say that, obviously. Then he explained what his vacation was. And after he said it, I thought to myself, well, I, that sounds fun. He took his kids. They went camping somewhere. There's a place there in England called Blackpool. They went there. They enjoyed you know, whatever they did as a family. And it hit me at that point that what I understood to be recreation wasn't the only definition of recreation. In order for me to grow spiritually, to reach that next level, there were adjustments that need to be made. That I would be able to travel, but maybe not to this place, instead go to that place and find joy, not in sin, but rather in the makhluk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Adjustments need to be made. Where for every, it's as if for every time you tell someone that something isn't okay, they will be very keen to listen if you offer them a meaningful solution. That this is what you can do instead. People need to have solutions and there needs to be a middle path for them that allows them to be Muslim, yet a good family member, yet someone who is healthy in the workforce and can contribute to the greater community, is able to be an activist where needed, able to be an educator where needed. They aren't locked away. And if we think about this purely from a number standpoint, extremism doesn't work. It's not sustainable because that extreme, the world you create, extremism just consumes itself. Does that make sense to you guys? Like there's this new level of what's next, the new level of what's more extreme, what's more extreme. Therefore, the Quran uh, says, That this practice that Christians adopted of not getting married and dedicating their lives to monasteries tucked away in mountains. This was not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something that you added on yourself. Therefore, the Prophet said that there is no scenario that a person involves himself with extremism, but it'll overcome them. It will overcome them. And this is why it's important that you study the deen with mentors and teachers. Otherwise, if you're just reading books, the world very quickly becomes black and white. The other problem, the other side of this coin is equally problematic, where people don't take their deen serious at all. This balance. Go ahead. There is neither uh, rectitude nor excellence in that which deviates from the middle path. Fourth attribute. He did not incline towards this world, nor did he reject it outright with the Sahaba. Instead, he instructed them to follow the middle path. He وسلم, said, the best of you is the one who does not cast aside his worldly matters for the hereafter, nor the hereafter for his worldly matters. The best of you is the one who benefits from this world and from the hereafter. This is the correct method because devoting oneself totally to the one, uh, to the one to the exclusion of the other would amount to an ex in excess while the combination of the two is the balanced and middle path. 
So here he starts this conversation. I cut him off because we're going to start reading some riwayat, and as we read them, I'd like for us to read the whole riwayat in one go. Um, this, so the previous one was about moderation in deen. This point right here, point number four, is moderation in the, in the dunya. Moderation in your worldly life. So, أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَمِلْ بِأَصْحَابِهِ إِلَى الدُّنْيَا وَلَا إِلَى رَفْضِهَا Nabi did not teach his companions that collectively, collectively they should all fall to the feet of the dunya. Or that's all it is that we earn more, earn more, earn more. And that we want this to be a religion that has the most number of millionaires or billionaires. That's what our goal is as an ummah. That's not true. وَلَا إِلَى رَفْضِهَا Neither was Nabi telling people to abandon the dunya together. Now for those of you who are students of knowledge or have maybe attended some gatherings of knowledge before, may have come across the riwayat of the Prophet ﷺ that warn us of engaging with the dunya. But here we just said, وَلَا إِلَىٰ رَفْضِهَا Neither did the Prophet ﷺ tell people to reject it. Well, it's not objects that the Prophet ﷺ is warning people to, uh, to avoid, rather it's the love of the dunya. And then on top of that, in the scenario where Rasulullah ﷺ is telling people to avoid actual wealth, this is to tell people that there are people who can handle the, the dunya when it comes before them, but most people fold. So in a scenario where you have to choose to over-engage or disengage, disengagement is a safer route. You only grow from there. It consumes you. So, um, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said this riwayah is narrated by Imam Daylam and also by Ibn Asakir from Anas bin Malik radiallahu an, where Anas bin Malik radiallahu an says, The best of you is not one who completely abandons the dunya, this worldly life, for the sake of achieving the hereafter. And neither is the best of you the one who sacrifices his akhirah altogether just to gain everything from the dunya. Rather, in reality, the best of you is the one who is able to take which one? Both of them. For indeed, this world. This material world that we live in is what will allow you to reach the hereafter. If you don't engage with it, What does kallan mean? Like a burden, a weight. Right? That you become a burden and weight on other people. Because if you're not financially taking care of yourself, how long will you live off of mommy and daddy's credit card? At some point, they're also making dua. That set me free. How long will I be um, covering this person's bills? They must learn to stand on their own feet and take care of themselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward our parents for all their sacrifices. Yes. Rasulullah said, The world is an excellent steed. Write it so that it conveys you to the hereafter. The reason for this is that a person needs to utilize the provisions of this world for his hereafter. And perform as many good deeds as possible in this world of life. One who discards well, one who discards the world is either deprived of loss or shown mercy to, and subsequently 
taken care of by others. In the first case, he is incapacitated from doing anything, and in the second case, he is despised. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never make us dependent and burden on someone else. This is the dua that I held, I heard our elders making. I heard everyone making this dua. All the elders that I've met in my life, I heard them making this dua. Have you guys heard this dua? Khuda kisika muhtaj That may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never make me a burden on someone else. I live a life, a healthy life, an independent life that I'm able to contribute to others. Khuda kabi kisika muhtaj that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never make me a burden on someone else. How difficult must that be? How difficult that you spend your whole life living independently and then a point comes in your life where you're fully dependent on someone else. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ الْعُمَرِ That the human being then does a full circle and comes back to where they started. You start off being dependent, you become independent and then back to the first stage. Go ahead. Did that you? He applied the fundamentals of Islam and revealed injunctions in such a way that he clearly On that previous note, one more thing. Right? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't you know, encourage people to just run after the dunya non-stop. Because when your leaders do this, the followers lose hope that this person is purely material. Just today when I woke up in the morning, I was listening to the news. And it's as if every time we hear one of these stories, but today is off the hot press. Right, that uh, another Muslim country, a previous leader there embezzled over four billion dollars. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give hidayah. It's not that we don't have leadership, it's not that we don't have dominance, it's that we don't have iman. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, uh, La imana liman la amanata lahu. La imana liman la amanata lahu. Wala dina liman la ahda lahu. There is no iman for a person who isn't trustworthy. If they're not worthy of being trusted, what iman do you have in your heart? Go ahead. He applied the fundamentals of Islam and revealed injunctions in such a way that he clearly expounded to the Ummah the acts of worship which are. On them. He didn't just command, he personally showed them how to do it. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's living presence was an opening, a sharh to the Quran, to revelation. Therefore, we have such a great emphasis on the study of hadith and sunnah, understanding who the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was. Go ahead. And explained all that is lawful and unlawful. He comprehensively explained the permissible and permissible relating to covenants, marriages, and transactions to such an extent that even the people of the book, Jews and Christians, relied on him for many of their transactions and inheritance issues. On the other hand, his sharia was never in need of rulings from others. He also laid down principles in his, in, in his sharia from which rulings could be derived and extracted and which served as precedents for the this point that he's making, this paragraph, is very, it's beautiful. So listen carefully. Go ahead. In addition, he ordered those who were present to convey the message to those who were absent so that the latter would come to know of his announcements and utilize his words as proof. Rasulullah Did you guys understand that? Did you guys understand what he said there? 
So the first thing, ثُمَّ مَا هَذَا لِشَرْعِهِ أُصُولًا تَدُلُّ عَلَى الْحَوَادِثِ الْمُغْفَلَةِ وَتُسْتَنْبَطُ لَهَا الْأَحْكَامُ الْمُعَلَّلَةِ So what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, first, he delivered the ahkam and rulings. That was the, the previous point that he just mentioned under this same uh, point number five. Point number five, so the first part of it was he enacted sharia. He showed people how to live by sharia. Point number two, Then Nabi also taught them the, the common principles that needed to be extracted to further understand scenarios that you encounter. Right? So he taught them the ta'lil. So now Nabi gave his ummah usul. He gave them the ahkam, the rulings, and he gave them principles. So now moving forward, there is no longer a need for another revelation. Because not only did this deen offer people the furu', but it also gave them the usul. Not only did it tell them what to do on their day to day, but taught them how to understand and legislate based off of revelation. Now that's okay. Now the next part. The next thing Nabi did was he, he told the one that was present, who was in front of him and heard the lesson directly, to go to those that were absent. Taught them legal rulings, taught them how to establish principles. Number three, created a system of conveying knowledge. That those that are present convey it on to others. Nabi said, convey on from me and do not attribute false towards me. Do not lie toward, do not lie at me. Right? It is possible that the one who the message is conveyed to has a better ability to retain that knowledge than the one who actually heard it. And sometimes the one who is carrying the knowledge may lead it to someone else who has a deeper understanding of that knowledge. And then he continues from there. Go ahead. Go into point number six. Six he waged jihad against his enemies even though he and the few followers who were with him were surrounded, confined, and restricted from all sides. Gradually, his small number of followers increased, and their abjectness changed to honor. By constantly babbling against the enemy, he became a force which had to be reckoned with. His awe-inspiring nature also contributed greatly to, to this increase. He invited towards Islam until it had proliferated and became popular, and remained firm in jihad against the enemy until he was victorious against them. Given the initial uh, falsity of his followers, success would have been virtually impossible without Allah Ta'ala's kind assistance. Mm -hmm. Seventh attribute. Okay, so in the fifth one, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam teaching Sharia and giving the tools to people to understand Sharia, this next one, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also engaged in jihad. Where the enemy became stubborn, where the enemy came to threats, the Prophet ﷺ didn't run away. Rather, he stood firm. That, you know, there is a different language to communicate with different people. In Urdu, we have a saying for this, What that means is that there are some 
scenarios that you have to kick the door down. And if you just talk to the door, open up, open up, open up. It's not going to open up. Sometimes you have to kick the door down as well. Yes. Never in the framework or any sort of connotation of aggression or oppression. The Prophet every ghazwa, every battle was in all reality nothing but rahmah and mercy. Read the books of Sirah and you'll see this. They may sound contradictory. That how could battle be mercy? How could a punishment be a mercy? Be a mercy? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding qisas, retribution. وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاسِ حَيَاتٌ وَلَكُمْ قِصَاسِ النَّفْسُ بِالنَّفْسِ When a person kills, the family has a right to take retribution. So we want our justice. Yet when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this retribution in the Qur'an, what does he say? وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاسِ حَيَاتٌ يَا أُولِ الْأَلْبَابِ The people of intelligence, you will see that in this retribution there is life. Right? That when you uphold justice, one person may be punished for the wrong they did, but you are preserving safety for a large group of people. Right? Everyone else benefits from the outcome of that punishment, which is uh, justice being enacted. Go ahead. Seventh attribute. The special bravery and valor which he displayed in his battles and his fortitude against the enemies. In every single terrifying battle, terrifying battle, he remained firm and resolute until he was either victorious or had to defend himself. He, he never fled from his position, nor did he rush to accumulate uh, booty. Yes. Instead, the, remember this, guys. Courage. It's a part of reaching completion as a human being. You will need to fight your fears. Be strong. It's a very healthy thing to do that every now and then you step out of your comfort zone. Do something that you haven't done before. Don't be reckless, but learn to face your fears. Because once you learn to not be afraid of challenges that face you, you learn to endure. You learn that you have the ability to conquer and grow. You learn to stand for your principles. You learn to stand for what's right. Courage and shuja'ah is at the center of being a human being. You must always develop this in yourself. Work on it. How can I develop my courage even further? A part of courage is here. You need to know that you can endure and that you can pull through. But another part of courage is also building yourself like physically, intellectually, where you know that I can rely on what I've built of myself so far, that I've taken my classes and I have the courage to do the surgery. I can do it. Not someone like me doing a surgery, that's not a good idea. Neem Hakim Khatarayajan. Neem Mullah Khatarayiman. Half a doctor and your life is in danger. Half a scholar and your iman is in danger. Neem Mullah Khatarayiman. I was telling them a story in the car that when I, was, when I visited Africa, how many years ago was it now? Six, seven years ago, we were once driving. And the brother who was driving me, I shared the story on the way to the halaqa. The brother that was driving, he had this, he had this four by four. And for some reason, he thought it was a good idea to chop off the top half of the car. Literally, it was sliced off. There was no roof above us. So we were just driving uh, in the park. And then he turned the engine off and said, shh, why? 
So I said to him, what happened? And he whispered to me. He said, I smell lion dung. There's a lion here. So he turned the engine off. We sat quietly. And um, we waited for like a minute or two, and the lion crossed us. It was an albino lion, by the way. And it was maybe where Ozeda is sitting. Three sufuf away, that's where the lion was. I was terrified. There wasn't even a roof on my head. If that lion decided that, you know what, that looks like a good boti. That was going to be wa'akhir da'wan on alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. End of the bayan. Right there. There was no protection, no fence, nothing. No collar, nothing. It was just right there. In that trip, I interacted with so much wildlife, never before or after in my life. Maybe after, but never before. So the guy's name is Ismail. I said, Ismail bhai, kya karenge? He spoke Urdu. So I said, I told these guys that the, in that region, a bunch of the people that I met, even some of the Africans spoke Urdu. It's a long story. Okay, so I said, what are we going to do? So he's clenching this light that he had. I said, if he comes, I'm going to fight it. He said, A for excellence. <laughs> That's 10 out of 10 for courage, man. This guy's ready to fight a lion. I'm trying to think, which way do I run? What do I do? Do I hide another car? <laughs> I don't know. Hearts thumping, terrified. Never encountered something like this before. Courage. Yes, go ahead. It said, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a firm, calm, and composed. His sahaba radiallahu anhum turned away from him initially in the Battle of Hunayn, and only nine people from his family and sahaba remained with him. This is the Wayama Hunayn, you know, the ayat tell us, that people began to abandon the battlefield because they were caught off guard. Uh, a shower, a rain of arrows was falling from the sky. They were firing the arrows and people began to run backwards. Yes. Seated on a donkey from which he saw the large neither flee nor pursue the enemy, he was in a predicament. As he was forced to face a huge enemy, but he stood firm before his Sahaba and called out to them, Come to me, O servants of Allah. I am the true prophet. I am the son of Allah. Come to me. Those of you that are running away, come with me. I am the Prophet of Allah. Allah will give me victory. And I am the son of Abdul Muttalib and Abdul Muttalib and his grandfather. He never ran away. He was a courageous man. He faced Abraha, looked at him in the eye, didn't tremble or shake. And neither will I run today. Go ahead. As a result, they rushed towards him individually and in groups. The Hawazin noticed him and retreated. The Hawazin were the people they were at war with. So when they saw everyone gathering together, they retreated. Go ahead. Peace never feared fighting the large numbers of combatants and never stopped engaging those who resisted him. The Sahaba learned this. They weren't afraid of numbers. They believed in their message. They believed in their Allah. They believed in the promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِيُذْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ كَمْ مِنْ فِئَةٍ قَلِيلَةٍ غَلَبَتْ فِئَةً كَثِيرَةً بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ Don't get caught in numbers. That we're a minority, we can't accomplish it. This is a kufri way of looking at the world. People of Iman trust Allah with ikhlas, give it their best. And the amazing thing is, the outcome and result will always be theirs.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives off of ikhlas. He gives off of dua. He gives off of mujahada. You put hard work in, you're sincere, you ask Allah, Allah will give. Go ahead. Allah Ta'ala aided him with followers and armies, and he remained patient until Allah Ta'ala granted him victory. His valor was without any equal apparel. A terrifying sound was once heard in Medina. People rushed towards it, but found Rasulullah had already reached its origin before them. They saw him returning bareback on a horse which belonged to Abu Bakr al-Sadi. He had his sword with him and said to them, O people, there is nothing to fear, there is nothing to fear. Then he addressed Abu I found it, meaning the horse, to be very swift. It had been a very slow horse, but subsequently no horse could outrun it. His bravery and valor were due to his, to his total conviction that Allah Ta'ala would assist him and grant victory to his religion in realization of the promise in order to give it supremacy over every religion. And as an affirmation of his word, when he said, the earth was contracted for me, and so I saw its east and west. The kingdom of my Ukhna will reach all the areas which were contracted for me. This is sufficient as a fulfillment of his right. It also serves as a testimony of his truthfulness. Eighth attribute. He was generous with everything he owned and gave away everything which he desired or loved. At the time of his passing, وسلم, his shield was, was mortgaged to a Jew in exchange for some barley in order to feed his family. He وسلم, ruled over the Arabian Peninsula at a time when other kings and princes owned vast amounts of wealth and properties. They used to store all these treasures, boast amongst each other, and take delight from them, from them out of insolence and arrogance. He وسلم, took over all their kingdoms, yet he did not hoard a single dinar from them. His food used to be unrefined and his clothing coarse, yet he used to give away items of importance and abundance. He وسلم, would give to large groups of people, while he himself would swallow the bitterness of poverty. Oh. And exercise this is the person who the Prophet was. He swallowed the bitterness of having little, knowing that his ummah received all of their goods that they were taken care of. Mm -hmm. And exercise patience over intense hunger. He obtained the following booty from the Hawazin, 6,000 prisoners of war, 24,000 camels, 40,000 goats, and 4,000 ounces of silver. He gave away his entire share and returned with nothing. Abu Wa'il narrates from Masul, who narrates from Aisha, who said Rasulullah did not leave behind a single dinar or dirham, not a single goat or camel, and did not make any requests. When anyone asked him for anything and he did not have it, he would tell the person to go and purchase it in his name. He would never let anyone go empty handed. Hisham al Musa'ad narrates from Zayd ibn Aslam, from his father, from Umar ibn Khattab. That a man came to Rasulullah and asked him to give him something. Rasulullah replied, I do not have anything at present. You may go and purchase in my name, and when I do get something, I will pay it back. SubhanAllah. He said, O Messenger of Allah, you give me something. The Prophet said, I don't have anything to give. Why don't you go to the store, buy something, put it on my tab, I'll pay the bill for you. Umar didn't like this. He said, O Messenger of Allah, you've given until you have nothing left. You don't need to carry other people's tabs. Maybe he said, Allah said, I'm more than happy with Umar radiallahu anh. 
Yes. A man from the Ansar said, O Rasulullah, spend and do not fear any shortage from the master of the throne. Al yeah. So Al Ansari, when he heard Omar radiallahu anh say this to the Prophet, sallam, the Ansari said, Ya Rasulullah, anfiq wa la takhaf min dil arsh That you give, Allah will take care of you. That's who you are. On one side, Omar radiallahu anh, you know, was apprehensive to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taking on this debt. Fakari Omar. On the other hand, this Ansari is saying, O Messenger of Allah, you just keep giving the way your heart desires to, Allah will take care of you. Fatabassama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Here Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam smiled. Nabi sallallahu smiled and said, almost indicating to that person that this is what my Lord commanded me to do. Go ahead. Rasulullah used to say, I am more responsible for the believers than their own selves. When any believer passes away and has debts, I take the responsibility of paying them. If he leaves behind a dependent, he should come to me, and I will take care of him. But if he leaves behind any wealth, it is for his heirs. Can there be any generosity and magnanimity similar to this? Can there be any abstention and asceticism equal to this? It is important for anyone is it impossible for anyone to attain the least of his merits and the slightest of his virtues? His merits and virtues are countless and can never be acquired to return. These were never found, these were never found to perfection in any person, allowing him to equal Rasulullah. His merits and virtues were acknowledged by both friend and foe. The hypocrites, obstinate ones, agnostics, and atheists would try to denigrate his words and actions find errors in his moments of seriousness or lightheartedness, but could find no lapse despite their best efforts and plots. Can there be any virtue greater than that which is attested to by his enemies and enemies? Again, this Jahil Abu Jahl, he was committed to making fun of Rasulullah The best thing he could get out of the Prophet I mean, this guy was waiting, just trying. The best thing that he got, two things he came up with. Both of them are super lame. The first thing is, he would call Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mudhammam instead of Muhammad. The opposite meaning. There was nothing left for him to do other than name calling. It must have been so lonely for him. that I'm trying to find something to say against this guy. And the only thing left now is cheap, you know, um, uh, playground bullying tactics. Let's just do some random name calling. Let's flip the person's name. And the other one, he made fun of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's male children dying. Right. Oh, his kids died. He's cursed by the gods. There was nothing left for him though. You guys understand? He's trying to find dirt against the Prophet ﷺ to get the whole community to turn against him. He comes up empty-handed every time. Yes. Can there be any virtue greater than that which is attested to by his enemies and enemies? They could find no weakness in him by means of which they could slander, harm, disgrace, or defame him. He ﷺ is as a poet said, all, of, all mankind testified to his merits, even his enemies. The virtue of a man lies in the testimony of his enemies. That when your enemy speaks high of you, then you understand that who this person actually is. Go ahead. Speak to the one who speaks Whoever has reached the peak of virtues and perfection in all matters is most certainly qualified for the leadership of the world. 
وسلم, is most worthy to be appointed to see to the well-being of the creation, to spread goodness and to end corruption. There is no greater status for a man than Prophet Rasulullah was thus worthy and more than able to fulfill his responsibilities. For this reason, he was appointed as a messenger. Prophethood is the highest maqam. He carried the highest awsaf, and therefore he was a fit for this responsibility. All the traits that Imam Mawardi listed, he's closing off now. But all these traits existed in this person, right? Every prophet sent to mankind had their virtue, but all of them were gathered in Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ فِي الْأَنَامِ فَضِيلَةٌ وَجُمْلَتُهَا مَجْمُوعَةٌ فِي مُحَمَّدِ مَا إِنْ مَدَحْتُ مُحَمَّدًا بِمَقَالَتِي وَلَكِنْ مَدَحْتُ مَقَالَتِي بِمُحَمَّدِ I dare not praise the Prophet of Allah with my words because they are incapable of doing that. مَا إِنْ مَدَحْتُ مُحَمَّدًا بِمَقَالَتِي How can these words praise a person that lived such a pure life that inspired the lives of millions and millions of people? What can I say regarding someone who Allah Himself dedicated words of praise to? Rather, by mentioning Muhammad we have blessed this gathering, our lives, our words, and our tongue. By being able to love Him, these hearts have been blessed. By being able to read of Him, these eyes are blessed. Go ahead. He fulfilled its responsibilities without any lapses when he stood up as, an, as its advocate. Thus, he was, he was most suited for it, and it was most suited for him. All mutually corresponding pairs are similar, are similar, and all similar pairs are mutually attracted to each other. Mutually attracted pairs are in agreement with, another, with one another. Agreement is harmony, and harmony is the basis of every system, and the fundamental of every union. This was one of the most obvious testimonies to the authenticity and veracity of his Prophet After such clarity, only a debased person would reject it. All praise is due to Allah Ta'ala who inspired us to obey, to obey Rasulullah and guided us to attest to his Prophet. The words of Imam Allah end here, after a few changes, additions and omissions. After this concise presentation on the personality of Rasulullah and his character, I now present his teaching methods and his accurate instructions and teachings derived from reliable books of the pure Sunnah. With that, we conclude. Alhamdulillah, today we finish the kalam of Imam al-Mawardi. Now the next chapter, Asalibuhu fi-ta'aleem, the teaching methodology of Rasulullah We will start in our next class. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us life and tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sallam. Muhammad. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته